Hello, and welcome back to the Socially Distanced Podcast. I am your host, Al Manorino, the managing editor of thepopbreak.com. With me, as always, every week, by contract, is the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com, Mr. Bill Bodkin. Bill, what is up? It's a sad day today. It's uh, December 8th, and uh, guys, I, I, I think it's not flip-flop weather anymore. I think I've hit, that, I've hit that time of year where I actually have to wear socks and shoes. It's a bummer, man. I look forward it to is. March when I can come back. But, Al, this is uh, episode 38. Crazy. Why? why? I don't have, know. We've got nothing better to do, I guess. That's very true. Mm, but we don't but. have the biggest panel this week, but we have... Some would say a grand panel, because Ken Grandpierre returns, he is back, we are talking about that episode, yeah, the tragedy, which, (laughs) that, that, that card came up, and I was like, ah, shit, man, it's, like, (laughs) why does it have to be sad? Um, I can already promise you this, uh, listeners at home, that this episode will be longer than the actual episode of the Mandalorian. <laughs> Man, if we had actually timed it out to try and get it to the exact number, we would have actually oh been a good podcast. It would be amazing. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's funny too. And, uh, you know, we've had Ken on most of these episodes for the, the Mandalorian reviews that we've been doing this music and Mando series. And, you know, I remember maybe five, six, seven weeks into the podcast, I was like, I really want to get my friend Ken on one day. And, and Bill, you were like, I have never met him or spoken to him, but sure. And then it took about, what, 30 weeks, and then uh, we eventually got him on. And now he is like, I think, been on more than almost anyone besides Cat and Cole. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Cat more than Cole, even. Yes, for sure. She was on the second one where we were talking about just watching Tiger King. That's how long we've been doing this podcast. Still probably one of the best episodes we've ever recorded. Yeah, and I never want to talk about that show again. Me neither. <laughs> uh, but I, you know a show I do want to talk about from now until the end of time? Bluey. Is The Mandalorian and Bluey. Yes. Um, oh, I bought some Bluey toys for uh, for my son for Christmas. We got the house. I was going to get the house. I ended up getting two plushies, the small ones. I, we got those, yeah. Uh, because the big ones are sold out. And then uh, I got him. Uh, I got him the, 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 what's it called, the Good Night Fruit Bat book. Yep, got that too. Excellent. All right, that is... Very, a, very that niche is, audience here. <laughs> we've converted a few people, I have to say. Yes. All right, so we're going to start this episode as we normally do with me ranting for a little bit in a segment we like to call the opening scroll. Which I wrote Basically, the gist of what we uh, what transpired. And like we said, this is one of the shortest episodes. It's definitely the shortest episode of the season. Um, but... Yeah. One of the most action-packed, and uh, we'll talk a bit, of, talk a little bit about um, not just the action scenes that were pretty awesome, but the reasoning for uh, the shortened episode. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But let's start with the opening scroll. Bando, at the behest of Ahsoka Tano, brings Grogu, Baby Yoda, to the planet Tython in order to place him on the Seeing Stone. The Seeing Stone will allow Grogu to choose his path and also hopefully reach out to another Jedi in the universe, the galaxy, who knows. However, Mando and Grogu are not alone. The very undead Boba Fett and the equally undead Fennec Shand are also on Tython and they want armor. Not Mando's, but the armor Mando took off of Cobb Vanth 
the sexy, sexy Cobb Vanth. Um, I, you didn't write that. I, I added that. I know. That's why I literally threw my hands up when you said that. I was just like, <laughs> oh. first off, my my dead, undead, and equally undead line was pure gold. But anyway, <laughs> keep going. Boba and Fennec promise the safe passage and protection in exchange for the armor. As the deal is sealed, stormtroopers besiege them after an epic shootout that results in the stormtroopers getting wiped out. Moff Gideon unleashes, dum-dum-dum, the dark troopers, who snatch poor, helpless baby Grogu, uh, who has completed his ritual on the Seeing Stone. Oh, and as if things couldn't get any worse, the Razor Crest is destroyed by the Empire. Boba and Shan agree to work with Mando to honor their debt to him. The trio head to Navarro. It's like the 15th time we're going back to Navarro, where Mando asks the New Republic Marshal Cara Dune to help him break out the gunslinger Mayfield, a.k.a. Space Boston Bill Mar- Bilber. Also Bill Mar- Again, oh. that's that's happened before on this podcast, too. Yeah, and I'm so glad it's not Bill Maher in Star yes. Wars. Jesus Christ, that would be terrible. Oh. Uh they are going to get the gunslinger Mayfield from jail so he can help Mando, Mando's rescue mission. We end the episode with Moff Gideon taunting Grogu, who himself has dispatched of two stormtroopers. Grogu is shot with a stun gun and shackled as Gideon informs Dr. Pershing that they have their donor again. Wow, guys. A lot happens in such a short amount of time. Um, so I want to start with Mr. Ken Grandpierre. Um, when we get to see Boba Fett don his armor, I know, I know we're kind of jumping in the middle of this, but I had to, I had to ask, what was that like for you as, as a lifelong Star Wars fan? Oh God, it is, it was everything I've wanted since being like a seven year old kid, if I'm being honest. And I have to say like when you saw, when it started out, when you saw Slave One, flying in the distance i remember thinking to myself like no way there's no way and then when you actually see tomorrow morrison who's really shows i mean he's very famous in new zealand and um he has he has a lot of successful films out there a great film i'd recommend people check out is once we're warriors it's like really fantastic really dark gritty film but in the star wars films even though we've seen him before he's never had a chance to really show his acting chops and even though it's like Star Wars acting, he still gives an amazing performance in this episode, and he's very much a presence, and that's what struck me. I, It was so cool, man. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, you know, I, I remember seeing the Star Wars films, the, the original trilogy when I was younger, and I think like every young boy was like, that guy's fucking cool. We don't see him do much, but we just said, man, that guy's really, really cool. Uh, you know, uh, talking specifically about Boba Fett. And we never got to see that moment, you know, that ultimate, you know, badass moment that we've always wanted to see. And for a movie that is horrendous, uh, and the movie I'm talking about specifically is Batman versus Superman. I know this is going to be a weird connection, but. It kind of reminded me of that one good scene in that movie where we got to see the ultimate, like, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City-style Batman fighting that we've always wanted to see in live action. 
And that was the kind of moment that I saw, you know, that they did with Boba Fett in this. We got to see him just become everything we wanted to see him do ever in almost one scene. Um, the jetpack, the the missile, the the shooting, the fighting, like everything we wanted in one specific scene. And I just thought, like, man, they, they just knocked it out of the park. You know, um, Bill, again. Uh, you are much older than us. Yes. You've seen these movies, a, 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 you know, years and years ago when they basically either came out or coming out on DVD or no, so not DVD, VHS uh, or home box office, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's basically the same question. I mean, what, what was it like to see, you know, Boba Fett in all of his glory? I was never a huge Boba Fett guy. Be, through watching the original films, but what got me into the character was there was a Marvel comic, the one time I'll talk comic books, that I got, uh, and it was about Boba Fett emerging from the Sarlacc pit and him basically blazing this trail of redemption. And I was like, wow, that's a Boba Fett I'd really love to see. And I got that here. I got that comic come to life. And what I liked about it was... Tamora Morrison gave this very intense, not over the top though, but extremely intense performance and it worked so well, but yet it was so intense and, and you, but also there were, he had like this honor about him. He kept the honor, which we didn't really see a lot of in any of previous incarnations of Boba Fett or Django Fett. It was, he had that code where he was just like, I want my armor. You would think, oh, I'm just going to kill you. He's just going to kill Mando. But no, he, he has a code. He wants to make a deal. And uh, when he gets that armor back on, man, the uh, Robert Rodriguez pen penchant for I got guns in weird places that could kill people was just such a cool moment. Like, the, especially the kneecap gun. The kneecap gun. Yeah. I was like, that is, such, that is such a Rodriguez-ism. It's so awesome. And... Um, it was really cool to see just how, especially we you juxtapose that with how Mando is basically out there with just a pistol, like getting lit up by stormtroopers who historically can't hit anything, but can hit him all the time, it seems. <laughs> and yet the, here comes Boba Fett, the guy who we've never seen accomplish anything, go out there and just be an absolute Antonio Banderas desperado killing machine. It's it was awesome. It really, really was. And then for him to return to that like honorable, I am going to partner with you because I have not fulfilled my oath. I was like, that's very cool that we're gonna see him through the series. I also now know how a sand uh, the the pike the sand people use works, and it is really, really, really vicious uh, weapon that we never got to see used. And uh, yeah. Uh, we saw a lot of stormtrooper helmets being ripped asunder in that scene, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there was a, a recent interview with Rodriguez, uh, that Collider did and they basically were, you know, just asking him like, how did you feel about, you know, being able to like resurrect Boba Fett and, and give him what, you know, like what fans have been wanting to see for so long. And, he said that the script that Favreau gave him was 19 pages, 19 pages, which is nothing. And he told him, he's like, you know, this is going to be 19 minutes long. 
like this is how I shoot. I shoot really fast. Like my cuts, like, you know, you've seen a Robert Rodriguez movie. Like it's just cuts, 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 cuts. And Favreau basically said to, you know, you're, you're going to have to make these action scenes pretty long then. So that's what they did. They That's why that it, that it felt just like a one big battle scene was because it was such a short script. I absolutely love that. And I think it was, it was a nice change of pace from the episodes we've seen. And, it, you know, a lot of people I've seen online complaining about like this, uh, you know, repetitive repetitiveness of like Mando comes into town. He needs a thing. They said, all right, I'll do it. But, you you have to do this thing for me like that's every episode of like season two or, and a little bit of season one right and it's true um, I liked this this was um, high stakes it, um, you know it wasn't a fetch quest this was a, a little different um, from that aspect and uh, let's just talk about uh, Rodriguez's overall um, you know direction I, I think we've been teasing about his appearance or or his. Uh, his take for a few episodes. Now we knew that this was in the pipeline for a while. Um, I'll start with Ken because, uh, you know, there's only two of you here. What did you, uh, what did you think of, uh, Rodriguez compared to, uh, other directors in the past, uh, past, uh, you know, two seasons or season, uh, almost two full seasons. I think what makes the episodes that are the most successful work, so well is like when the director is able to not only bring in his talent but also fit it within the context of star wars and i have to say with being a fan of rodriguez's work i was a little curious to figure out and see and experience what it would be like to see him in this world but it really did feel like he put it on like a glove like the way he panned the camera the way the action was so frenetic but Still, you could see everything that was going on. You could still get the visual language. It felt very Star Wars at the same time. And that's something for me as a fan that I've been growing to love about this series so much. They do such an amazing job at making me feel like I'm seeing things that are familiar while also showing me things I've never seen before. And yeah, like Bill was bringing up, seeing the Tusken Raider stick, uh, I'm going to geek out a bit, called a gaffa stick. That's, that's it. a little geeky thing right there and uh seeing boba using the missile and like the like you know the the knee pad guns oh missiles is just it was so cool man but yeah what really surprised me is that there was at its core an emotional significance to this episode that i wasn't expecting especially considering that um for people listening who heard last week's episode though i was pretty much sure that the season finale was essentially going to be what we saw in the first five minutes of this episode, which is hilarious to me. Like when the episode starts and they get on Typhon and he puts him on the rock, I was like, Oh, that's that. That's fast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what I loved about this is like, if, if you did not start watching Rodriguez early on, like if you did not watch El Mariachi, you would just know him as like, Oh, he just, Loves that goofy B-movie grindhouse shit, and that's all the movies he makes. Everything is super rock and roll, run and gun, blood and guts, self-referential, like, you know, very homage to a lot of shit you never saw. And, um, like, here, like, that like that uh, emotional aspect that Ken was talking about is, like, that's very apparent in Mariachi, and you you get some of that in the rest of the uh, mariachi trilogy 
less and less as the movies go on, but it was nice to see that return for Rodriguez where he remembered how to direct, where he's directing emotion or I said, remember that's an unfair statement um, where he's saying like, Hey, I can be emotional. I can, I can put the child in a position to, you know, a vulnerability. I can put Mando in a position of vulnerability while also providing you these, you know, characters running away from huge machine guns being fired, which if you've ever seen any of his movies, you know that that is a scene, like, I felt like ripped out of right out of Desperado, where they're jumping from building to building, where they're shooting guns up at them. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of his signature in here, but like you were saying, it's almost like a showcase of just like of what Favreau's done um, with Filoni is just like, signature like the signature styles of all these directors some of them who are brand new some of them who are seasoned veterans and putting their own you know you know their own flair and placing themselves within the star wars universe and doing it and still making it a very cohesive work of art is amazing it's not something you see it's like that was my big worry it's like would rodriguez fit and he really did and like the action I thought was no one's going to do that better than him. No one's going to film chaos in an organized manner than Robert Rodriguez, especially when it comes to lots and lots of guns. <laughs> yeah. I think this is like the best, like complete work that Rodriguez has done since sin city. I yeah. think, yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I right. love, I, I forgot like, he actually did it. <laughs> yeah. Like I have a soft spot for machete and machete kills like the, the the two films and I'm still waiting for Machete Kills again in space. I think that's the third one. And like, please make that movie. I will finance it. I'll find a way. Um, but I think this is definitely like the best complete work that he's done since Sin City, which I think I, I have to believe is his like magnum opus in terms of like everything that you want in a Rodriguez film, right? Like amazing cast, crazy action and just like style that you have never seen on screen before like that was sin city to me and the reason i like this this like he was put in a, a a world that has already been established and he was still able to put his spin on it and it, again i can't stress this enough in such a short amount of time yeah. where it didn't feel like it was missing anything you know, it, it's almost like this was you were you were kind of th- almost like you were thrown in the middle of a movie and you were watching oh, yeah. like the best scene, like the the climactic scene in a Star Wars movie. And he just fucking like nailed it. And like but it didn't feel like like it was, you know, misplaced in any way. It didn't feel like jarring that you were kind of thrown in there. You know, they land on the planet, they find the rock, shit shit goes down, and then the baby's taken. And that's it. Like, that's the gist. But it doesn't it doesn't feel uh rushed, it doesn't feel jarring, it just feels kind of perfect. And that's you really need someone who knows how to direct action and you know, and have that heart, like you mentioned, Bill, like have that uh, you know, you feel when baby when baby Yoda's taken, right? Like you really feel that. And and going back to what Ken said, like the emotion of just like, you know, Boba's Boba Fett has more motives 
than Mando does at this point, right? Like, he's he's not coming there to kill Mando. He's not coming there to take, take the child or take Mando's armor. He wants his father's armor back because of his code, because of his, like, livelihood and everything. Everything about him is that armor. Like, that's a lot to put in a 33-minute episode, 35-minute episode, right? So, like, I don't think anyone else was able to do that you know, as much as I love Bryce Dallas Howard, I think she she would have probably done a pretty good job. I don't think anyone could do that, but Rodriguez. Rodriguez is also, in a lot of ways, is a show don't tell type of director. Yeah, and I feel like like you mentioned Sin City, which I completely forgot because I always think Frank Miller Sin City, and I remember he, I think he directed the second one, right? Or <sighs> no, he so real well, quick. he directed he directed one movie, or was that the the uh, he, he directed the, he directed the Spirit. It's wow, Frank Miller Sin City because because it's, yeah, it's Frank it's, Miller's. <laughs> It's 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 adapted from Frank Miller's. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But he he directed. I think he co-directed both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. Think. He gets the credit, but it, but it, again. So my point was here is that Rodriguez works well with other people's material. So sometimes mm-hmm. I think with his own material, he gets to be a little too fanciful, a little bit too self-indulgent. Um, just like. On the reference, like you're saying, Machete and Machete too. Like, God, those are like Mel Brooks movies at points. Like, they're they're so self-referential and they're so jokey and they're so pulpy and B movie. But when he gets other people's materials, he's very reverential of it. He was very reverential of Frank Miller's material in the first in City, where he got great performances out of you know at physical out of physical beings like Mickey Rourke's Marv, Bruce Willis's Hardigan. Um, even Elijah Wood as Kevin, who barely talks, like um, he do- it doesn't. He does not talk. I can't. Re- I couldn't remember if he. Did. It's been. A, yeah, it's no, been a, no, It's been that, a minute slash decade true. since I watched that movie. But it's been holds up, by the way, and oh, totally agree with you. Yeah, like that. That performance oh, and, still scares the shit out of and me. Clive and Clive Owen too. Clive Owen is probably <laughs> and, and Bruce Willis probably have more talkier parts. But yeah. again, it's a lot of physicality. It's a lot mm-hmm. of speaking through action, and that's like for this. An episode called The Tragedy, you could really have made this a very over-the-top, very long and dramatic and melodramatic type of episode. And you didn't. You got right to the heart of it because Mando is, let's face it, while he is, you know, the the Dadalorian, you know, he, he loves that kid and he has emotion. When it comes down to it's like it's time to get to work. And that work is I got to go get spout, Southie Space Trash out of prison and we're gonna and, and we're gonna go get this kid. We're gonna go kill some people. And that's and that, but doesn't again doesn't feel cheap. It feels earned. It feels like, yeah, we're getting to the point, and you have to get to the point because I feel the next two episodes, our final two, which is sad to think, they're gonna be real long. Those oh, are gonna yeah. be some long ass episodes. I said to you, I said the finale could be a goddamn movie. <laughs> it should be. Could be two hour movie. Fucking should be. And I'm, I'm just worried that. You know, and we can get into this more too. But um, I'm just worried that they're gonna, you know, and I don't think they they are. I think they've done a great job of setting things up in the way that they can expand on other things later, right? Mandalore, for instance, right? Like I hope that this season doesn't end on Mandalore. Like I think I'm hoping that's a season three thing, right? Like I hope they set that up, and I hope we don't see Ahsoka again this season. But we could, and like it could be great. But I just I, I feel like they've they're starting to really fill this universe with all these different um, all these different characters and then going into all these different ways that they can uh, take the show 
and take the arc of the show is uh, like season two has been like this one giant setup without sacrificing the pacing of the season. They've been able to set up Ahsoka and, and Thrawn and uh, Thawne and uh, they were able to set up Bo-Katan and Mandalore and stuff. So I'm really hoping that, you know, this uh, finale doesn't uh, try to, squish all these things together and make a movie like you're saying bill i'm, I'm really hoping that they just kind of you know no i'm, talk, I hope I'm just i'm talking about the movie's going to be is going to be getting the kid back from off gideon i'm talking yeah i'm talking with, i'm talking dirty dozen i got a whole shebang about that and i've told well, you about already let's 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 get into that so uh, <laughs> this is like if you've ever listened to me on a wrestling podcast where I have like, here's the crazy theory I have that never happens. Well, we'll, <laughs> Al's we'll like, in... I have never listened to your wrestling podcast, so good. I can't. I, I, I don't have the energy. Uh, I want to I want to get into that, but I don't want to screw up the flow of the show. I believe the next segment is. Is the Force strong with this one? Is the Force strong with this one? I was about to say stop Baby Yoda time, but we'll get to that inside. So is the Force strong with this one? And it brings up a great point because we've already mentioned uh, Boba Fett, and I don't remember the actor's name, Ken. Tamora Morrison. Thank you. But I want to talk about Ming-Nang Wen. I want to talk about the return of Fennec because that was one character that I was really happy uh, to see last season and then very sad to see her gone so quickly. But one of the biggest early fan theories about the show was – uh, she was clearly taken at the end of uh, that episode that she appeared in last season. Episode five. Uh, by an unknown figure, and everyone's like, oh, it's fucking Boba Fett. Um, and guess what? It's 100% accurate, and we get to see um, basically Cyborg uh, Magna win. So that was pretty sweet. As our reviewer Rachel said, uh, Rachel Freeman, former guest on the podcast, uh, she got robot abs now. Robot abs, which is awesome. <laughs> I want. I would love some of those. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so let's. I'll start with Bill. Change it up a little bit. Um, you know, what did you think about seeing her again? Kind of getting a, a little more of her character. Very surprised um, and very surprised. And let me finish. We'll yeah, correct. Sure. Where do 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 you think outside of this season we're going to see more of her? Is she going to be? Yeah. So uh, no, no, I'm shaking my head on a audio podcast. Um, because yeah, uh, that's how I operate. Uh, yes, uh, I was stunned that she was back because I was like, because I was like, you know, I guess I had just forgotten. Like, if I'm thinking of Boba Fett, I'm, I'm thinking of because we didn't really see her with um, any or any inclination of Boba Fett. If this was Boba Fett, let's say Tamara Morrison's character in episode one, we didn't have any inkling or knowledge that or acknowledgement that he was going to have. He had a partner. So for me, it's just like, okay, Boba Fett's, you know, confronting Mando. Then all of a sudden you hear this voice. I'm like, get out of town. And that, the fact that we were probably as shocked as Mando being like, what? Like, is <laughs> she's back? And it's totally believable because if you then you go back and like, oh, that's right. She was, really wasn't dead at the end of that episode. Or, well, I guess she was nearly dead. I mean, that's a whole, like, uh, Princess Bride joke I guess we can go into. Um you know, so he miracle maxed her back, and it was totally believable. You totally bought it. You know, you knew she was this great, and you you remembered a lot about it. It was just like, oh, she's this incredible sharpshooter. Oh, and you know, she always seemed to have a, a strong code. So I don't know if I learned more about her because it kind of just everything felt very on brand from that episode that we saw her in. 
But uh, yeah, we're definitely going to see her around because she's attached to Boba Fett's hip and like you know figuratively, and we're going to at least see them for at least one more episode, I think, uh, since you know they owe him this debt. So they're on they're going to be in that dirty dozen mission to get uh to get Grogu back. So yeah, we're definitely going to see her, and I love seeing her back. She she's a a really cool presence. I feel like she's a little more. Um, I want to say a little more, not sarcastic, but she's got a little more edge to her, I think, than Cara Dune. And so I think that's like a little bit of a different style of character. Like all the women are a bit different in Mando's life, which I, which I definitely enjoy. Uh, but um, she had some great action sequences here. It was super cool. So um, they really put her on the level of just being like, yes, she is like her Mando and Boba Fett are like the dream trio of warriors who are going to go after Moff Gideon. Of course, we're going to have other people, but that's a hell of a, a triple threat right there. Yeah, and uh, let's uh, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about Mr. Moff Gideon. We have not seen a lot of him this season. He's uh, been mostly teased. Uh, we saw him in a um, in, in a hologram, I believe, for for a you know a split second, but we really haven't seen him since the finale of season one. When the uh, you know one of the biggest nerdgasm moments of uh, seeing the live action dark saber, uh, you know when he survived that ship crash that he should not have survived, um, you know has has there better like a been a better suited person in the Star Wars universe than Giancarlo Esposito? Ken, I don't think so because. What makes him a, a, such an incredible actor, and I feel he brings it with him to every project, is the fact that his presence just commands and accentuates, uh, oh, we're fucked right now. Like, anytime I see him on screen, I just think to yeah. myself, like, oh, Mando and everyone, they're, like, fucked. And yep. the last uh, five That's minutes... That's an Onion article, right? There was an Onion article <laughs> about that. Oh, was there? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I'll pull it up. I'll keep going. That's hysterical. Yeah, so like the last five minutes here, you really do get that sense. And he's also being playful, which we haven't seen yet, because he's always been so stern and so uh, focused and reserved that seeing him being playful here, you're kind of like, oh, wow, he really does have a sense that he's one and he's not he's not worried about Mando. Like, yeah, the Razor Crest has been blown up, but I'm sure he has an idea that Mando is going to try to come for him. And the way that character functions, he's like... Yeah, whatever. And that's, it's really cool. I like villains that are both competent and also uh, menacing. And I feel like he does such a brilliant job at that. Yeah, he's, he is that, he is that guy you got to be careful. Uh, it's always the quiet ones. That's always that, that classic phrase. You always have to be uh, fearful of the person who is the quietest in the room because he's never a guy who ever really raises his voice. He's almost has a soothing type of, uh, voice, which is makes him more fearful and more more dastardly, and um, yeah, it's he's so cool. Like it, he's just like the coolest dude. Like it just is like everything you do, and also he's a great interview on the Popbreak.com. Uh, regardless, uh, but he's just that guy who's just like you could tell he's having a hell of a time doing this, and he's just exuding excellence through this, and never chewing scenery, never being too over the top. It's just been. Fantastic watching him work. Yeah, uh, the the Onion article that I mentioned before was uh, 
The headline is, Introduction of Giancarlo Esposito suggests main character now totally fucked. <laughs> Very. Uh, Which is uh, one of the best headlines and most accurate I've ever read from The Onion. Yeah, uh, I absolutely have, uh, have adored adore that man. Uh, I've interviewed him a few times for the pop break, uh, whether it was for Better Call Saul or uh, for a creep show, which he, uh, he did an episode, uh, I believe, like two seasons ago. Um, what a what a nice, uh, the complete opposite of his actual characters that he plays. He's like one of the, the nicest down-to-earth people ever, but also like incredibly well-spoken and smart, like just amazing. Yeah, uh, Bill, you, you totally nail it with like the soft-spoken and, and the quiet ones are always the, like the most deadly. Like, you know, his... His role in, in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul might go – I mean I think personally will go down as one of the greatest television villains of all time and if not already. Um, so and, – and seeing him in Star Wars is just like a goddamn no-brainer, right? It's it's unbelievable getting to see this. You know, We are like truly blessed every week uh, with this show with, with the action sequences and then just like these – like like incredible casting choices right like you know having rosario dawson as as ahsoka based off of fan casting based off of just like oh wouldn't this be cool i'm pretty sure um it was started with like a a a fan it was actually a, a a poster done by boss logic of like oh this would be cool I think Rosario Dawson would make a good ahsoka and then she tweeted it out and that's how filoni saw it and Filoni told Favreau, like, I've, I already have uh, my my top of my list is uh, Rosario based off a of goddamn fan casting. Like, that's that's fan service, right? That's the way it's done, not, you know, Rise of Skywalker. But that's besides the point. <laughs> and we can talk about that at another date. And we've talked about that a bunch already. Um, I, you know, I'm trying to think of, uh, I mean, we've already kind of talked about um, Boba Fett. The only thing we didn't get to talk about was... The, I think, genius outfit choice for when we finally got to see him in the armor. I don't know if you noticed this, Ken, but he's kind of wearing like – he looks like a straight-up samurai. Did you yeah, did you guys yeah. notice that? Yeah, so – You mean I, in like with the, lower, the lower portion of his yeah. legs, like kind of like the back skirt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a nice touch, given that you know the show obviously has you know this um, Kurosawa influence, you know, which the original Star Wars did. All you know the uh, those films. It was really cool to see that, right? Because we're so used to seeing Boba Fett look like Boba Fett. We're so used to seeing him kind of look like Mando, like what he looks like as you know in the Mandalorian traditional Mandalorian uh, gear or armor. It was really cool to see that. I don't. I. 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 I thought I was the only one who noticed it, but I, I guess you guys saw that as well. I also yeah. liked. It. People were like, "Oh, he's got a dad bod." I'm like, "Yeah, the dude is like probably close to sixty, and you know what? Yeah. He was. He straight up he killed everybody. Shit. He <laughs> also went through some shit. He got eaten. Yes, he got. He. You could tell on his face he was partially digested for sure. Um, I, I will say, though, and I'll, I'll this will be, a, I guess, the question, final question for this segment is, and it's not really, like, about casting choices, but it's really just about how, like, I guess his, a little bit of his arc is, if he knew Cobb Vanth had the armor, why didn't he get it from Cobb Vanth? 
That is a big, like, well, yeah, I don't know if it goes for us a nitpick, but that is, like, unless they explain it, I guess we could say this is arguably the only time they've had, like, a plot hole. Uh, something I've seen online is that some people have said that most Pelego, where Cobb Vance was living, was so remote and hidden that most people in Tatooine didn't know about it. But mm-hmm. if Boba Fett was on Tatooine for years, you would think he would know where it is. And he also knows who Cobb Vanth is because he tells Mando. So, yeah, I hope they address that. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind a flashback or two. I yeah. think uh, I have a theory. I think if we – because we have this, you know, how, how he got the armor. He's like, I, I, you know, he was making a deal with him. Maybe he saw his armor being used for good for once. You know, and he was just like, he didn't feel right about taking it or something like that. And I feel like we're going to see Cobb Vanth again. And I think maybe we get an explanation out of there because I get, and that's my thought. Like he just saw Cobb Vanth was using it to, you know, not to, he was using for good, not evil. Maybe Boba Fett's like, it's not my time to take it. But when it's taken off of him, I want it back because it is mine. (laughs) Yeah, you know, something yeah. else. No, something, yeah, I was gonna say there was something else that I wondered. Where, I mean, obviously it's a big galaxy. You can't expect um, people to know everything and know everyone. But it is a little interesting that a Mandalorian bounty hunter like Din Djarin, our main character, doesn't know of the most famous bounty hunter in the galaxy who happens to wear Mandalorian armor. I wonder what the disconnect is there, where he'd even seem aware to know what or who Boba Fett is, but he's also a bounty hunter. Hmm. Yeah, I thought I thought of that, right? So, it seems that he, uh, uh, Din Djarin, I don't think he's that in tuned of, like, what is happening in just his general vicinity. Right, he's unaware of the, he's unaware of who the Jedi are. In the first season, he doesn't know who Jedi are. He thinks of it as like a race, right? Like he he is not aware of like what just fucking transpired, like pretty recently in terms of the fall of the Empire, right? So I just feel like, did they talk about that at all? Are we just not aware of like was he just off doing other shit? At a, you know a different place, but it's weird because he's such a, a believer uh, of um, you know the creed of the Mandalorians, yet knows nothing of their history. He knows nothing of their battles with the Jedi. the The Forger did, you know, the armor. Yeah. she knew, but that's the first time the Jedi is mentioned. I, and I just wonder if they he you know kind of they were talking about that cult mentality, you know were. Was he just used as this, or the the foundlings just used as these weapons, and they were never they were so indoctrinated into you just this you you will know what we tell you, and you have a very specific mission. You are an you're not a person, you're an instrument. So that's what you have to wonder Mm -hmm. if that's what they had they were doing with them. They don't really explain that, but that could be. Uh, That's the only thing I can think of because it's like how do you not like if you you're the supposed you know, devout Mandalorian, you don't know about their great wars. I'm saying you're an American, don't know about the Revolutionary War. Well, it seems it seems like <laughs> too, and I, I think I think Bo Katan kind of like briefly brings it up. She's like, you you really don't, you really only know 
what you know. Like you He's only John know. Snow. <laughs> he knows nothing. No, I was. I, I'm saying like he only knows what they with that specific religious uh, cult, if you want to call it that, taught him about his people and about the way. Right. This is the way. Um, I, I I just it. That's the only like thing that I wish they would kind of elaborated on is like why is he so oblivious to just like current events <laughs> why don't you read the news bro <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's the thing don't, i think i think that that's the whole don't point. you read the tatooine times bro bro <laughs> <laughs> um maybe yeah. maybe that's something they'll be retconning where uh in all the old canon and all the old comics and games Boba Fett was like arguably the most famous bounty hunter but maybe going forward they're going to try to retcon it and make it that Boba Fett was just any other bounty hunter. Like it makes sense. I mean, you know, if you know, he loses his armor in an empire, he's presumed dead. No, Jedi, and then, he loses it in Jedi. Jedi. Sorry. Sorry guys. I'm sorry. That was Jedi. 5 years prior. Yeah, so so 5 years ago he was maybe maybe it's just like forgotten. Well, he's also like, I mean, he's also keeps asking about. He's like, he was asking about the Mandalorians, and like, Boba Fett's kind of like, well, I'm not a Mandalorian. Yeah. I got the, I was, we were, my was his father was sure. gifted the armor. So, if you're think, if there, even if, even you know, if they knew of the Jedi, you know, he might not be in that canon, that official history of the Mandalorians because he's like, mm-hmm. he, he's not a Mandalorian. He's he's a guy who got that armor. And yeah, but Ken, but Ken brought up that he was one of the most famous, not just Mandalorians, but bounty hunters. And yeah, but he also, but but he, uh, fucking Mando is a bounty hunter. It's yeah. like not knowing like the big, like the most popular. If you were a baseball player and not knowing like, oh, you know, fucking Derek Jeter, you don't know. But he also remember the beginning of the series. He didn't really mingle with anyone. He barely wanted to talk to grief. He was just like, just give me my. He's like, I don't want to. He would, he didn't want small talk. He's like, give me my payment, give me my assignment. I'm gonna go do what I do. Like, so I could see, like, you know, he's, you know, so he, and when he's, you know, when he's not out bounty hunting, he's down in the sewers, you know, being in a cult. I, 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 I can, I can definitely understand that, but at the same time, like. You're you're also kind of making the point that he might be like uneducated, but that's well, completely think, not the case because <laughs> because the guy fucking knows how to talk to sand people. Well, and, again, and it's the, the, what he you know, the what Tuscan Raiders. Sorry, yeah. but like you know what I mean. Like, but it's what he needs to know to survive. And I think we're going to. I think whenever they get to Mandalore, when we do that, that's when his whole intellectual into his brain is going to wake up. Sorry, I, I was going to say his intellectual awakening. Where he's going to, because right now we're in the emotional state of it, where he's mm-hmm. gone from this is the way I got to get the kid to my fi- the final destination. Now he's like, I'm a dad now. I love this kid, and like he he gets very emotional when he speaks of the kid mm-hmm. and to the kid. So now this is what we're going to see this year. It's this is the this is his you know he gets his heart this year and he gets his brain the next year. It's like the Wizard of Oz, but in star Wars. So it's like, yeah, so maybe that's like, he, he gets woken up from what he doesn't know or convinced that what he knows is not right. Cause I feel like we'll see the armorer in season three because we haven't seen her. She's not dead. 
So I don't think we see her in season two. I think season three, and that's going to be like this kind of like push and pull. It's like him and you know the you know Bo-Katan on one side, armor on the other, and they're both feeding him this information, pulling him. I think. I mean, these are all just wild theories. So we'll see. Well, well would you like? It? Would you like yes. to hear something interesting? Uh, yes, that's it, literally why you're here. It's something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it you know here's me being a fanboy. It comes from the old canon, but there's uh, aspects of it that people think are going to come into play in regards to Mandalorian, the Mandalorian show. So the way that Django became a Mandalorian is that he was an orphan, and Mandalorians. Uh, in a planet called Concord Dawn, saved his saved essentially his farm, but his parents died. Similar to the Mandalorian, our character, where his parents stowed him away from battle droids. And a uh, Mandalorian named uh, Jaster Mareel, I think was his name, essentially took J- young Django in. And Jaster was essentially who was supposed to be the next Mandalore, which is their title for king. It's spelled a little different than the planet name, but Essentially, he was next in line to be the king of Mandalore, and he decided to abstain from that. And he had his own little band of Mandalorians. He raises Django as his own, and then a bunch of stuff happens with like pirates and a thing called Death Watch, like other evil Mandalorians. But basically, there's this belief. There was a belief in some of the old uh, comics and books that Boba Fett would be the next in line to be Mandalore because of his lineage from being like essentially the adopted grandson of Jaster. And I think that's almost an interesting through line that Disney has where you almost can't give up a potential conflict like that because you have Bo-Katan who's considered the rightful ruler because her sister used to be the queen. But then there's this Jaster guy who is supposed to be the king. So now Boba could come in and there could be conflict with that where Boba might come in and be like, you know what, like, I didn't care about being king of this place, but yeah, I actually would like to be. And Bo-Katan would be like, you're not even going to fuck a Mandalorian. Like, what is this? And I could see oh, that coming into play. Ken. Okay, hi. John Favreau, Dave Filoni, this is me, Cam Grandpierre. Go get him on the writing team. Let's make this happen, because <laughs> this is amazing. Yes. Make it happen. Um, but Ken, does, don't, don't they mention during the episode, doesn't doesn't Jin say, like, oh, your your father was a foundling? Yes. So isn't that kind of in the vein of what yeah, you're saying? So, that, so the idea is that they're oh, going to be right. interested to bring that in. Yeah. Fuck. It's, it's, it's Game of Thrones. Episode, <laughs> yeah, I watched the episode one time. And again, just because of how short it was, I remember everything. <laughs> God. Um, and, but Bill, I, I, uh, I wanted to transition yeah, from what you were saying before, getting into stop Baby Yoda time. Let's talk about this this pretty amazing relationship that has been blossoming this father-son relationship and we get to we get a glimpse of it in last week's uh, the previous week's episode uh, the jedi with uh ahsoka and getting to see you know now that baby yoda has a name grogu um he's connecting with grogu more and we get to see that uh you know uh what he what what ahsoka taught him the you know this uh this trick of uh, you know him mental, using his mental fetch, mental, yeah, mental catch of him using the force and uh, playing with the the little ball at the at the end of his uh, sh- you know uh, I always I messed it up last time I'm do it again too like stick shift what the fuck do you it's want to ba- call it's it it's basically a stick shift it's like a it's key. a stick it's, shift yeah let's just say that yeah let's go with stick shift so um you know what did you guys think of the, the seeing this 
other side of of Mando, seeing this very, you know, compassionate, but not even compassionate, just like him just genuinely being happy for a little bit, uh, just being able to, like, uh, connect with Grogu in a way. And I'll, I'll start with Ken on it. Like, how are what are your thoughts on this? It uh, reminded me of like when I uh, walk my dog in the morning and he's like in a good mood. <laughs> like, like, That's you know, so like, cute. like, yeah, like sometimes when I walk him, his name is Diego. So when I walk him and he's in a good mood, he'll like turn his head back and kind of look at me as he's like walking and kind of like, yeah, we're walking outside and this is great. Uh, it kind of reminded me of that. And it was interesting hearing Mando's voice in an almost kind of like joyful tone. Like, yeah. that's kind of like what was conveyed there. And, you know, something that interested me a lot, um, jumping ahead a little bit, is how at the end of the episode, Mando didn't seem to express, like, anger or sadness at Baby Yoda being abducted. abducted. But I think what's special in that is it, it shows how focused he is, where it's like the moment he realizes Baby Yoda got taken, he's like, all right, now i got to figure out how to get him. And yeah. You know, it's interesting. In most movies and TV shows, especially TV shows that have uh, more episodes in a season, what would frustrate me as a viewer is the next episode would be probably a whole kind of almost semi-quiet emotional episode where Mando is contemplating, like, should I save him? Should I leave him alone? What have I gotten into? But no, this show is like, no, I know I have to go get him. Fuck what the stakes are. Fuck what, if it's possible, that's what I'm going to do. And there's no question about that's what his next moves are going to be. And I like that a lot. What's funny, I'm, I'm, what's funny is when he, I remember actually he said the kid is gone. And at first I'm just like, does he not care? Like, what's going on here? And I, and I feel like that was his emotion. Like, he didn't want to talk about it almost like, but he knew he had to, and, and like, or he, maybe he was trying to dismiss um, Shandon and and Boba Fett just so he could go do it himself. But yeah, I, I thought that too. And I was like, because that was a weird moment. But I loved like the he's like Grogu, Grogu, because you know Al and I, you know, when you're just like saying your kid's name, just like eat eat this thing. Come on, you know you can do it. All right, you did it, and you get that like you get that satisfaction that they did the thing. Yeah. They did the thing, no matter how small or trivial trivial it is, and. um there were times where he was like, "All right, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm leave you alone," or he said, "I'm gonna go protect you and buy you time." And it's just like, it felt like, yeah, it was more emotional, and it was more. He was ready to, he was ready to go die for the kid, and not because he had some sort of religious oath, is because he had a duty as a father and because of love that he was going to go die for this kid, even, you know, just so he could choose his path as any parent would do, you know, you know, you got to make this decision. I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the hit for you. Don't worry about it. And then that was really cool. And now yeah. he's going to burn everything down and get him back. <laughs> yeah. You guys made some, uh, you know, absolutely perfect points. And the stuff I wanted to address was, seeing the, you know, he, he doesn't change, even with him losing, you know, his his adoptive son, he doesn't change the way he reacts to things. He is like a tactician. He is very, you know, this is the way. And, you know, not just the mantra of the man, you know, of his code, but it, it's 
how he conducts himself as, you know, this strategist, right? And, you know, we get to see that in the in the first episode, uh, you know, with the, with the marshal of there's a problem and these are the ways that we're going to go about trying to fix it. There's not one way to do it and I'm not going to just go in there guns blazing and to try to, you know, take down, um, you know, the crate dragon. I'm We're going to do it in, you know, a way that gets us the least amount of casualties and we're going to, you know, get it done. His reaction here when losing, um, you know, Grogu isn't like, fucking go, I'm going to steal the Slave One and I'm going to go jam it up their fucking Empire, Empire's asshole. It's, I'm going to... So violent. I'm going to do it the smart way. I'm going to go get my friends and get my frenemies and we're going to come up with a strategic way to get him back because I can't do it alone. I want to. I probably want to, but I can't. I know I can't. And I love that he knows his limitations and is able to do that. And it also... Well, it's also because the ship's gone now, so he has no other options. Like he's yeah, been, every but, everything he had that tied him to the old ways yes. is gone. He doesn't have the Mandalorians. He doesn't have the armorer, and he doesn't even have his ship. So he now has to literally rely on people to go do that. Yeah, but I was gonna. I was also gonna mention that, like in a nor- like a a very predictable and normal television show, it would be him going in alone, and then everyone showing up to his defense. You know, it would be like, oh, shit, it's Cara Dune, right? Like, I love that it's like, no, I need these people. Otherwise, this mission is not going to work. And that's very Mando, and it's very this show, and the writing of this show, and the way that they've, you know, kind of crafted this character, right? And I think I complained a few episodes ago about, like, not him, like, him not having motives or him not having, like, an end game. Grogu is his endgame because yeah. it's it was all about the relationship building of this character. He his endgame is I have to protect this at all costs. Not because I need to complete this mission that I have been put upon. It's because I genuinely give a shit, and that's what's making this show even better. Um, but let's get into the final segment. Um, I believe I don't think I skipped one, but let's say uh, is this the way where we rate? Uh, this episode of The Mandalorian oh. on a... Well, was that Baby Yoda segment, technically? That was. I really just truncated that segment because... Well, we, no, we, no, we, we got we to gotta talk about one scene, though. One scene okay. with Baby Yoda, real quick. Ooh, you're right. Is, Let's do it. Is that end scene where he is basically choking out two uh, stormtroopers and then flinging them around. That's a side we've never seen from him before outside of, you know, obviously he stopped the flamethrower trooper by deflecting and then pushing yeah. the, the flames back. But he is literally choking a bitch out at that point. Like, I mean, that's yeah. the thing. And so that kind of plays into what Ahsoka's thing about fear and all that. Mm-hmm. Like, could he be tapping into the dark side a little bit? So that's why I wanted to bring that up. That's an excellent point, Bill. And yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to. I should, uh, I should drink tea more often on this podcast. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> it's probably you're probably better off. But um, I, I didn't mean to skip over that part. I did definitely forgot about it. And I think I, I think on first watch when I was watching it was this is someone not fear, but he knew that he was in a dangerous situation. Those stormtroopers, remember, 
Remember the last time he dealt with stormtroopers directly? He got hit a bunch of times, like legit punched. Yeah, I don't think he, he fucking he likes them, right? No, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't so like I think he just knows generally, uh, dad's not here. I'm in trouble. These people want to hurt me. So I don't know if it's tapping into the dark side because what else would he have done if he is in danger? If a Jedi was in danger, he wouldn't like just fucking get his ass kicked. He would take out a lightsaber and cut a bitch. So I'm just saying, <laughs> like, I don't think, like, I just feel like I didn't felt, I didn't feel because again, he knocked the shit out of them. He didn't kill them. Yeah, That's but true. in the context of Star Wars, I could see it like they might try to say he'll be so comfortable with it that that would be him delving in the dark side. And I'll just add what was hilarious is like I watched the episodes on Friday mornings. It's almost like a new ritual for me now. Same. And I I remember on that Friday, like I watched it uh, like maybe 10 p.m. 10 a.m. And then by noon, when I was like scrolling through Instagram on my explore page, there's like a bunch of like fan art of like dark side baby Grogu already. I'm like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like with a hood and like a red lightsaber. And it's like, I mean, it's definitely Star Wars. So that's definitely a trope they could go down. But I, I hope they don't. I don't think they will. I, but I mean, like, and again, and there was that that silent, calm menace of Junk Arlo Esposito coming in there and saying, Aren't you just so tired? I was like, oh, God, he's going to eat him. <laughs> like, it was just like, you're just like, oh, hey, God, he's so scary. <laughs> like, please don't hurt him. Um, but, yeah, it, that was a super cool segment. So I wanted to make sure we talked about that before we moved into our Parsec rating of the episode. And no, you, my wild theory. <laughs> I was going to – oh, go. Oh, do you want to get your wild theory out before we get into the episode? Yeah. Like, rating? So, so Ken, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking – Let's get into that. I'm thinking – I'd love to hear a theory. All right, so I don't think. So I think next episode we're gonna we're gonna get Southie Space Trash out of uh, out of prison so he can drop some eyes and shoot some bitches. So I think that's what we're gonna see with Bill Burr. We're gonna get him out, and then I think we're gonna have the big Avengers Assemble, Ducktales season finale, um, Lord of the Rings. Everyone gets together, and it's gonna be. Obviously, Mando, it's going to be Boba Fett, Fennec, Cara Dune. I think you're going to get, you're going to get Cobb's going to come back. You're going to get Fennec, no, sorry, Mayfield. And then I think you're getting the three Mandalorians and maybe somebody else, whether it's Grief or Amy Sedaris, to come back. Well, well or Frog Lady, I guess, to make uh, to make people happy. Well, Frog oh, Frog Lady got a poster, so maybe she will come back. That would be interesting. I was saying Amy Sedaris yeah. because it's just like one, she's a mechanic and a pilot, and she definitely could be that person in the getaway car, yeah, waiting for them to go. I, I also don't think that any there's anyone in the universe that cares more about no. Grogu than fucking Amy Sedaris. Well, maybe Cara Dune. That's Maybe care do, but not. No, it's something. Easy. Something important to remember, though, and it's kind of cool. The director for this episode coming up this week is the same director that did that Prison Break episode. Rick, I think Fujuya or Furuya. Yes. Did he direct it or did he just write it? Uh, he direct. Oh, that's a good point. I don't oh. know if he only wrote or directed this episode coming up, but he Shit. definitely directed the Prison Break one. But Which something love. else to remember is at the end of that Prison Break episode and season one, 
it's not only Mayfield that he leaves behind. He leaves behind uh, Natalie Tena, who plays Tonks in the Harry Potter movies, and that other like really aggro guy. Because I don't think he the Kurgan from uh, the Highlander, man. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see that if Mayfield is locked up with those two and how that plays into next I week. I feel episode. like Mayfield was the only guy because I felt like even though they had guns pointed at each other, they kind of got each other. Like they like Mayfield, they, there was like a like a begrudging respect between the two. Whereas I think the other two characters just want Mando dead because. They are just shitty people. Whereas I think Mayfield, while a scumbag, is still like kind of has that thieves code, where he's just like, all right, this guy, he got one up on me. You got me out. We're even. Uh, okay, I hate the Empire. Like, because I think he had a past where he was anti-Empire of some sort, and so I think like maybe that'll be it. I don't know about the other two, but like, I think we're gonna get this whole. They are alive. I mean, if I mean, if you need some people, to, yeah, I, it would be great. I'm not going to lie. I'd love it. But I, um, I feel like we have like this huge team because you have to consider we have the Sentinels from X-Men, a.k.a. the Dark <laughs> Troopers. You have like a whole empire, and or even the, just that ship itself is huge. So that's going to be a huge – that's going to be a massive undertaking for them. And, um, you know, yeah. And, and I guess you could also throw, I guess, throw Horatio Sands in there, I guess, because he was so vital to that one mission. And so, yeah, there's a whole group of characters that could get together and we just have this massive assault. Some die off, some live. And uh, because I really think you're going to have Bo-Katan come back because, hey, I'm going after Moff Gideon. He's got something you want. So bring so bring your posse with you and let's you can get that saber. But I need the kid. You know, I don't think we see Ahsoka come back. But I mean, I mean, I mean, if she did, I mean. Something I would love, and sorry, Al, I know we want to get to the rating, but before we do, I just want to bring up one more thing, and it regards the Dark Troopers, and uh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna geek out a bit again because it adds some context to that. So the Dark Troopers first appeared in a video game years ago called Dark Forces, and what's significant about them is that essentially um, they tie directly to a Jedi. A Jedi that goes by the name of Kyle Katarn. And oh, sorry, I don't want to cut you off. Lucas literally did all of this last episode. Yeah, <laughs> did he? Yeah, yeah. Did he? Oh, <laughs> yeah, he did. He did talk about Kyle Katarn. Sorry. Yes, he did. But I don't, all, want, I don't want to retread. All I'll say is that what I mean, because a couple episodes back when we saw uh, Kyle Katarn, oh well, not Kyle Katarn. Sorry, what, a couple episodes back when we saw the Dark Troopers, the rows of them, we didn't get like a proper look at them, so we didn't know if there were definitely dark troopers. And then in this episode where you not only see them, but he says out loud, dark troopers, I'm just sitting down going like, just bring in Kyle Katarn. And for people listening, not familiar with Kyle Katarn, it's literally if Han, if they took Luke Skywalker and gave him the personality of Han Solo, that's all he is. And it's awesome. Um, who, who would play, who, who should play him? Ooh. Yep. Shit. Ugh. And what and what age would he be at this point? Yeah, he would he would be in his uh, late thirties, early forties. So me, like, so it's yeah, me, it's me, yeah. it's me, guys. I'm Kyle Katarn now. That's uh, a really good question. Who could play Kyle Katarn? I mean, Nathan Fillion. <laughs> <laughs> Just have him in another space thing. <laughs> Probably God. too old at that point. A little too young. Yeah, who, a little too sarcastic. God, who's a white guy with a nice facial hair? 
Like a does beard. He ha- does does I, he have I, to be I, white? Uh, yes. <laughs> I'll say it. His name as is the black, Kyle. As the resident black man on the podcast, I'll say yes. He's, okay. His name is Kyle, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, right. he's from Wisconsin. Yeah, come on. God, All that's right. actually tricky. Funny enough, because I've spent this whole week desperately hoping and wishing they'd bring him on. But I actually don't know who could play him. That's a good one. That's a good question. Mm. Oh, you know who I would want? Who? Um, fucking Eggsy from uh, Kingsman. Never happened. Mm. Why not? All British actors take a fucking American roles anyway. Yeah, but I mean, he's also, I think he's a little too, he's a little too young looking. He also doesn't yeah. do facial hair. Eh, he has facial hair. And Rocket Man. What about uh? What about uh? Rob Stark. Oh yeah, that that's so that's kind of the look of him. But, but he like, doesn't have the he doesn't have the what's it called though? The um, I don't think he's got like the the Hanness. No, he doesn't. No, no. He's got the hotness, but I don't think he's got the Hanness. Hmm. It's God. sad that we can't think of this. No, right but now. I mean, it's like on the, we just put ourselves on the spot. We didn't make this. A we really did. Segment. No, we should have. We should have actually. You, you know what? Let's 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 do some. All right, some next, homework. Next well, episode, we don't know if he's going to show up. <laughs> next week's episode doesn't matter. We're coming back with one pick for who should play. Who's the perfect pick for this uh, for Kyle Katarn? Okay. All right. And I will. And if Lucas joins us next week, I'll, I'll make him. Uh, he'll do uh, do the uh, the question as well. Okay. But let's get into the final segment of the Mando section of this podcast, where we're gonna talk about this is the way. Is this the way? Where we review the episode from a zero to twelve parsec rating. I'll start with Bill. Overall thoughts and your parsec rating. Ooh, it's a tough one. Uh, it's definitely in the upper echelon, but you know you, you're. Um so hard to top last week, but yet so different. It's it's a toughie. So I'm going to go 10.5 parsecs out of 12. Um, love the episode. It was very short, and but very to the point. Love the action. Love all the consequences here. Love what they're setting up for the rest of the season. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely 10.5 out of 12 from me. Wanted to keep it short this week. Mr. Ken Grandpierre. It's funny. I've been enjoying the season a lot, but I think that I haven't felt a rush and a high since the season premiere. And I think this episode is the closest I've felt since then. I mean, definitely with the aspect of seeing Boba Fett and being a fanboy for that. But just the fact that we're given depth, that's the thing I love so much that we've given Boba Fett purpose. We see that he has motives and reasons behind why he's doing the things he is it actually is something that feels very surprising too because i mean when you consider the myth of boba fett that we've created uh ever since empire strikes back or return of the jedi for as much as you would think boba fett's someone with a code he just never seemed like someone who would be reasonable so it's interesting seeing him interact with mando and have this thing of like yeah man i'll help you get that kid don't worry and it's something that almost took me aback a bit but then i realized like you know that's this is good because it could lead in so many areas. So, and I'm a big action junkie. I love seeing violence on a screen. So, this is a good uh, eleven out of twelve for me. And also, how many times have we seen uh, Star Wars botched nostalgia? Yes, too many. Um, I, I I have to say, Ken, you didn't get that same feeling when you got to see Ahsoka put on the lightsaber. 
I did, but not as much as I thought. Not as much as Boba Fett, funnily enough. And it, that even surprises me, because I would think... I would say I'm definitely more of a Ahsoka fan, but there's just something about how it... You know what I think it is? I think with Ahsoka, it very much felt like an in-and-out type of thing, whereas yeah. with Boba Fett, I feel like this is going to have wider implications going forward. And I that speaks a little bit more to me. And and I think this will go into a little bit of my review, too, so I'll just I'll just do mine real quick. You you made a great point with Ahsoka, one like in and out, right? And I think specifically opening the episode with her in full Ahsoka mode was both badass and the reason why it wasn't as impactful as seeing Boba Fett towards the end of this episode become Boba Fett. The Boba yes. Fett that we've always wanted to see, we get to see him without his armor there making his stand of like, I want my armor back. I I, I just, I want, him, I want it back. It's mine. Give it back or I'm taking it from you, right? So getting to see him swoop in and kick all of the ass, as I mentioned earlier in, in the podcast. Every ass was super impactful like it is that moment you've been waiting for for 20 plus years right like uh, longer than that but for us me and ken specifically 20 plus years almost 30 years um that was fucking awesome And, and it really does make the entire episode for me but there's so many great moments in it and again in such a short amount of time robin rodriguez directed the hell out of this um we get great moments from mando the child boba fett has mentioned uh, return return of fennec the dark troopers um it overall just fucking kicked ass so i I definitely want to rate this pretty high and i think uh billy kind of nailed it with the the ten and a half parsecs i think that's a perfect rating i don't know how they could have got it to the 12 oh because it's not the next two episodes (laughs) because i think those are going to be bonkers I know they're going to be bonkers, too, and I'm really excited about them. I, I, I can't wait to see it. I think what I want to see now, because they kind of just do whatever the fuck they want in terms of, you know, the people that they bring on to do the stories. I want to see a Gareth Edwards directed yeah. raid style fucking Mando episode. I mean, it, liter- tr- it literally could happen. We don't know who's directing the next two episodes. Oh no, we do. The next episode is written and directed by the the one that Ken mentioned, Rick who directed Fayuima. Prison Break. Oh, yeah, so it's gonna do so good with that. It's gonna oh. be great, yeah. But like, that's a dream for me. Is like, uh, I want Mando to be stuck on either a ship or a planet that's like gonna blow up at a certain time, and he has to fight his way through it. And it's directed by Gareth Edwards. Like, just make that happen before I die. <laughs> I, I just want to see it. I'd love to see that. But yeah, uh, yeah. So that that concludes our Mando section of this, and we're going to end the podcast with uh, you know a few music recommendations. Um, this is uh, basically music at a time of quarantine, uh, a normal segment that we do on the normal version of this podcast. You can listen to back episodes of this podcast on all the streaming platforms. If you're listening to this now, just go back like. 10 episodes and you can hear some normal ones with some very uh 
old content, but definitely some pretty decent music recommendations. Uh, yeah, it's so-so. Uh, it's mostly Bill, you talk about Phoenix. Yes, I, I do love me some Phoenix. Bill, what is your music recommendation for this week? I have two, and I'll make them both quick. Uh, I have my Christmas recommendation this week. I'll give you that first, and that is uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band live from Asbury. I believe it's Asbury Park. It's just like if you're from New Jersey, you're down the shore, or you know Asbury Park, this song is like law that you have to listen to it. It's a big, fun, wild song that, you know, takes a modern classic and gives it that Jersey Shore bar band sound. Love it. When I was, you know, unfortunately, DJ Father Christmas, that's me, um, will not be spinning it this year at any Christmas shows. So uh, that's one of my staples. I love that song so much. So uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band's the live version. And my regular pick will be uh, probably stealing Owls this week is Ground Below by Run the Jewels and Royal Blood. Two bands that I've talked about and Al's talked about. Love these bands. They came together. This is a banger. This is a bop. It absolutely slaps, as the kids say. And um, I just love the fact these two bands got together. And um, oof, this is this is just a, a big-ass, badass song. If you, if you need something for the gym, definitely. Uh, not like I ever go to the gym. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something you should uh, be listening to. I'm sure Al did when he was getting his gains on today. I, I did not. I, I actually was listening to my music recommendation for this week. Uh, but I'll talk about that in a second. Ken, what do you have for us? Yeah, uh, I'll continue the trend with music, uh, Christmas. And I'll recommend a, a song that a friend of mine recently released. Uh, she did a cover of have yourself a little special christmas and um she also put out a ep of like christmas covers her name's alani and she's a british singer who um also uh lives in paris and yeah it's just a really nice beautiful rendition you can hear it on spotify uh it's alani a-l-a dot n-i and yeah have yourself a merry little christmas her cover of it is really beautiful and it just sets the mood, and the vocals are awesome. What what more can you want? That's awesome. I'm going to listen to that. I did, Al, I actually heard Christmas Lights for the first time last week, and I was like, oh, that is a really good song. Al's, Al's Blind Squirrel Finds a Nut. Al was right once with music. Woohoo! <laughs> um, my music pick for this week, um, the Christmas one, I'm going, I'm going to also go with a classic Christmas song, and, and Bill, I don't know if you're going to laugh or totally agree with me on this one, but one of my favorite all-time Christmas songs is Happy Holidays by Andy Williams. Oh, it is Andy Williams, be- man. So good. Andy That's Williams so is the best. So good. It is, it's like the epitome of like, you know, the start of the Christmas season. Like when I hear that, like Thanksgiving night. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, I'm yeah. just like, it's Christmas time, right? I have, um, maybe my last, my last Christmas song pick is the ultimate Christmas song, but I'm not going to spoil that. But Oh, nice. Yeah, it's the all-time uh, classic in my opinion. Excellent. I have to try to figure that one out. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so that's my Christmas pick. And I'm going to do another pick. Uh, it kind of goes off of what I think Kat said another, like an, an episode ago, maybe. But uh, Arctic, uh, Arctic Monkeys released the Live at Royal Albert Hall um, album, which is also like a, a benefit album as well, I believe. Ken, I don't know what they were benefiting. I think Kat, Kat mentioned it. Oh, yeah, they were benefiting War Child, which is an incredible organization 
uh, predominantly in the UK, but it's worldwide, and it's uh, cancer research, especially um, for kids, particularly. Yes. So um, I started listening to that at the gym, and I loved hearing uh, f- uh, four out of five, um, the live version of that, and and then five oh five, which is a fucking awesome song. And Ken, you mentioned you sh- it should have been the last song on the album, the closer. Oh, oh I, I was mentioning that five oh five. I was having a conversation with a friend on Twitter, and I was saying, uh-huh. "Mutual friend." They, yeah, I was saying the way they do five oh five, it should be the last song of the the set, the concert. Yeah, I totally agree. I thought that was fucking excellent, and it's like the third or fourth song in. I was like, "Oh man, they should have saved this. It was so cool." <laughs> uh, but uh, four at four out of five, which is the it, it's called four out of five. Right? I'm not losing my mind. Yeah, you're yeah you're saying that four, right. four out of five. Um, it's my favorite out of. The the latest album, Tranquility Based Hotel Casino, um, which is a crazy, crazy concept album. If you have not listened to Arctic Monkeys in a long time, it is uh, very fun and strange and crazy and weird. But um, I think that is the most accessible song out of the album. Like if you're an Arctic Monkeys fan, a very, very general fan, and you want to easier way into their new album i think that's the most accessible song and it's very very uh just fun and weird and cool uh but yeah those are my picks and that's gonna end it for this week Uh, again it's uh quick we're looking at like an hour and almost an hour and a half told you it was gonna be longer than the episode itself uh, but thank you guys, as always, for, for joining me on this uh, fun little ad- weekly adventure that we do. Uh, Ken Grandpierre, for those who are just tuning in for the first time and haven't heard your sultry tones for the last few episodes, where, yeah, where can uh, where can people find you and listen to your awesome podcast? Oh, thank you. People could find me on both Instagram and Twitter at Konami Photo. That's K-E-N-A-M-I Photo, spelt the American way. And I have a lovely podcast called The New Exchange with Ken Grandpierre, which you could hear on Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and pretty much wherever you stream podcasts. And uh, season one has ended, but season two will be kicking off in February. And yeah, just go and listen to all the nice episodes of season one. They're all fucking great. And Bill, I know that there's a ton of poppery content out there. We don't have to get into all of it, but I'll maybe just try. maybe just maybe just briefly talk about where people can find you and some of the lovely content that Poppery is putting out on a daily basis. Um, I'm at Bodkin Writes W R I T E S on Twitter. Uh, most recently on Poprek, I put out uh, some of some of my more favorite pieces I've done recently about uh, DuckTales holiday special, uh, Christmas special, and how that's coupling with the series uh, not being renewed for fourth season. Um, and I also did uh, a piece on NXT War Games. Um, and I am the co-host of this podcast. Of course, you can find Socially Distance on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, and Anchor and Spotify. We also have Pop Break TV which are on those same platforms. We have a ton of great shows on there. Of course, I'm the editor-in-chief of ThePopBreak.com, which puts out content on film, television, music, comic books, pro wrestling, digital trends, all sorts of great stuff every single day. ThePopBreak.com, at PopBreak.com, all spelled out on Twitter, uh, forward slash PopBreak.com, all spelled out on Facebook. Um, 
I'm going to do a shout out to uh, a friend, uh, two of my best friends. If you are a, have a show that they have work on, it is called Hilda. It is on Netflix. Season two is premiering, I believe, on uh, on Friday, uh, whatever day the twelfth is. I think that's the eleventh or twelfth. It'll be on there. So, but look for Hilda season two. Uh, these are two of my lifelong brothers and best friends. So go check that out. Uh, Hilda season one is already streaming on there. It's a great uh, like adventure kids show, animated series that you know kid of any age can really get into. Super quick episodes. Um, Lady Mormont is the uh, lead voice actress of the show. So yeah, check that show out because. I love my friends and I want to promote their stuff. Excellent. Um, and uh, if you are listening to this podcast and you like this podcast, we want other people to find this podcast. So please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening to us so people can find. Listen, if you just want to put in the reviews uh, how wrong we are about our theories. Just say it. I'm wrong. I'm, I'm usually wrong. I'm fine with that. I want to I want to see what other people are thinking and, and other theories. So, you know, you can reach out to us uh, at uh, popbreak.com all spelled out on Twitter um, and uh, yeah, you can reach out to us on there and tell us how wrong we are or how right we are how how good I am at doing this at hosting this podcast just talk about it uh, but yes thank you so much everyone uh, you can find me by the way at Al Matarino uh, on Twitter and Instagram and uh, thank you again for listening to this nonsense on a weekly basis uh, And we'll see you next week for episode nine of The Mandalorian of season two. Take care.